Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Since Mrs. Wingate Yates Foster, through my benevolent society, wishes the arising of her dear departed husband, Wingate, we tonight will bring him from that which was thought to be his final resting place. Through my powers of the supernatural, I, and I alone, can bring him to this room tonight. From that place in the deep blackness of death, from which no visitor is to return. Where do we go when we die? Obviously, no one knows. But if you asked a psychic medium, they might tell you that it's a place with a bridge back to the land of the living, where our dead loved ones are able to communicate with us, even after their bodies are long gone. I'm Jericho Mandiba, and this is Beyond Belief. Of course, not all psychic mediums are cut from the same altar cloth. For some of them, their occupation might be the only thing they actually have in common. I see dead people. But they do have a common history. And it's a pretty universal one. Most Indigenous societies across times and continents had spiritual authorities in the form of shaman figures, capable of communicating with the spirit world where revered ancestors resided. With the rise of rational materialism and the violence of colonization and the religious conversion that that brought with it, great chunks of the world were cut off from their inherited spiritual traditions. In the West, all that changed in just the last few centuries. Spiritualism began in the 1840s in upstate New York, where many people believed that direct communication with spiritual beings, including even God, was possible. A guy called Emanuel Swedenborg claimed that he could speak to spirits of the dead in his waking life. And while he was against the idea of regular people trying to do the same, his descriptions of the nature of the quote-unquote other side and his habit of communicating with dead people really caught on. Especially when Kate and Margaret Fox became national sensations, performing public seances in groups all around New York. Next minute, many young women were working as mediums, and in fact, it was a career that gave them a great deal of freedom in an otherwise pretty oppressive time. Before long, spiritualism was an all-out movement on both sides of the Atlantic. The spiritualist church became a thing, parapsychology was widely written about, and many people began to harbor and evolve their own beliefs around ghosts, spirits, and mediumship. Now, when we think of mediumship, we tend to think of John Edwards and a bunch of other celebrity mediums. And with them comes the psychological term cold reading or fishing for information from somebody, say a vulnerable daytime television audience member. 
and that really only gives the appearance of knowing a bunch about them or about their dead loved ones. To cold reading subscribers, psychic mediumship is the same now as it ever was, parlor tricks for the bereaved. I was being pulled, I'll get a pull to a certain section of the audience, but um, I was getting a younger male who passed, so I don't know if there was a son or a gra uh, like a grandson or a younger brother who passed, but I was being pulled over here, this, and that section over there, if that makes sense, can you please stand? My, but you see how I'm looking at you, but then they had me look directly at you. So know that she does not want you to remember her ill. Do you understand that? And did you not get to say goodbye to her? Because she says, please tell her to stop saying that I wish I got to say goodbye and that I loved you. Your mom is in heaven. Yes, all right. And she's, she just is saying she loves you over oh. and over. She loves you. She loves you. And she just wants you to know that she has survived. She has survived death. When we think of psychic mediums, we probably think of those harbingers of disaster in movies, the really spooky seance scenes. Maybe some of us would rather not think about dead people are dying at all, which fair enough, especially considering what we're really talking about is our own mortality, our precious finite time on earth, and the fact that we don't know what comes next. But the thing about psychic mediums is that they tend to have a different conception of time entirely and of space too, a less unforgiving, less linear conception. And when you put it that way, maybe there's less to be afraid of or less to dismiss than we've been led to believe. And listen, if there's one thing for sure, it's that every single one of us will shuffle off this mortar coil sooner or later. Aren't you curious about what happens when we do? Or at least, do you want to know what a fully-fledged professional psychic medium thinks happens when we do? <laughs> and why we might want to stick around and try and talk to our more alive friends and family? Same. And I know just the woman to ask. Jessica Lanyado is an internationally respected astrologer and psychic medium with decades of experience. And full disclosure, she was a weekly guest on my last podcast, Self Service. Now she's the host of the super popular Ghost of a Podcast, and she's co-host of TLC's Stargazing. She's also a tarot reader, animal communicator, and the author of a new book, Astrology for Real Relationships, Understanding Me, You, and How We All Get Along. Let's meet her. Jessica Lignato, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Me too. I'm so excited to have you and talk about mediumship. So... Can I just start by acknowledging the fact that there's probably like a whole bunch of people that are mediums that have very different approaches and belief systems, but what is being a medium to you? You know, it's it's really hard talking about this stuff in some way because language fails a little bit. Mediumship, as I understand it, is being able to be a bridge of communication between the living and the dead. That's probably the easiest way. And like the reason why it's called medium is because you're right up in the middle you know, it's kind of like it's more being a messenger than it, it and like being able to communicate than it is anything else. Okay, we don't know what happens when we die because that's impossible. We're alive. But that being said, I kind of just want to get into fleshing out like your belief systems a little more, your cosmology. So like probably annoying question, but like what what happens when we die? <laughs> yeah, it's not annoying. I think it's a very fair question. And my understanding of what happens when we pass is that it's not one thing, first of all. Just like being alive isn't one thing. Different people have different experiences. From my experience and my understanding, 
the concept of heaven and hell, which is pervasive, you know, concept. It's a misinterpretation of what actually happens because there's no location when there's no physicality. And when we die, what happens is our bodies die, but we don't actually die. Our, our spirit, our soul does not die. Um, it's just no longer in this body, in this life. And so in terms of what happens, I don't know. And where we go, I don't know. But I will say um, we continue to live. It's death of the body. And it's certainly not death of the soul. It's not exactly death. I mean, I've just talked to so many dead people in very animated and detailed ways that it's hard for me to think of those people as dead, even though I myself have lost people and I very much feel like they're dead, you know? So it's, mm. it's complicated, but. Mm -hmm. So like there's no physicality and the implication is that it's about time. Yeah. It's a weird thing because there's some of this that I don't feel it called to understand. There's some people that I've been talking to who are in spirit uh, for many years, more than a decade. And I have, had the opportunity to see them change. And as they change and grow, what I've seen is that they become more whole. And on a spiritual level, becoming more whole means being less resonant with your personality. So it feels like they're further away from us, but actually they're more whole. And as we become more whole on a soul level, what occurs is that it feels like we're further from living people, because living people, like the, the very nature of life in a body, it's like the nature of duality, it's mm -hmm. of, of separation. And from an energetic standpoint, and, you know, spiritualists will, will back me up on this, and so will quantum physicists, right? There is no separation really between anything. Everything is interconnected, and everything exists on multiple planes at once, um, within time, within space. And as we become more whole, we become less resonant with the duality. We become less resonant with the, with the paradox of, of separation and distance and time. But it's not like, you know, a very common question I get is, is so-and-so happy? Is so-and-so okay? You know, where are they? Can they hear me? And all of these questions are very human and they're very normal questions to ask, but they're kind of missing the mark. It's like imagining if you grow up in a rural place that you're going to move to an urban environment and everything's going to be the same. Like, why would it be the same? And so I don't know if I've like run away with your question, but, but that's my general answer. That's great. Thank okay. you. My pleasure, my pleasure. If I understand what you're saying, it's kind of like when people pass on, they have their personality intact. Mm -hmm. And through whatever, you know, process of evolving that occurs mm -hmm. in that realm, there is kind of like a more and more connectedness and therefore their personality may eventually dissipate. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and I will say that the process isn't passive. Just like being alive, you've choice. When you die an asshole, you're a dead asshole. When you die a good person, you're a dead good person. And, you know, not to, not to like make it like black and white, good, bad. But, you know, it's not like we pass and we become whole free beings per se. You know, there's work and choice and, and agency. And within that, there is the agency to stay stuck, to not do the work, to double down. I mean, I've talked to dead people who are just like, I don't like you, mm. you know, to me. They don't like me or they're straight up destructive towards the people that they have left behind. The one thing that I will say is illness doesn't follow us. So, you know, if you're mentally ill, if you're physically ill, those are conditions of the body. And when the body passes, we release those, which I think is very relieving for me to know. Mm -hmm. 
you know, when we don't have time and we don't have place, everything, it's just hard to conceive of because what we on earth experience as time in our bodies, we try to trace those who are out of their bodies in the same measure and it doesn't work. Just like a five-year-old's experience of time is different than a six-year-old's. So do you think some people when they're dead may resist that kind of um, state of oneness and therefore, you know, they're the stubborn ones? Are they mm. the ones that are kind of hanging around to communicate? Uh, interesting. Uh, well, some people aren't stubborn. They're scared. Mm. Sometimes they're, um, you know, many times people will pass and then they'll make the choice to stick around until their children pass or their loved ones pass. Um, I think that what's hard is that everybody who loses someone they love, we want to have that sense of like connection. We want to feel them. And what I think can be really difficult is when you are seeking something, when you're using your cognition, using your mind to look for something, you're not receiving. You're not in a state of receptivity because you're actively going out and seeking. And this is a really meaningful distinction because when you're receptive, you can perceive and feel um, subtle energies and dead people are subtle energies usually. Um, and when you're trying to figure things out, you're not receiving that subtle energy. So you're not going to find it. And when somebody is bereft and grieving, uh, we often are just looking for answers. And unfortunately, the looking gets in our way of receiving the answers right next to us or right within us. And I know that might sound kind of like a platitude or, or too simple, but it is that simple. And it also is very difficult. So, yeah. Mm. Does that kind of mean that anyone, should they be in a place of receptivity and, and willingness and, and willing to apply themselves, anyone can communicate with dead mm. people? Anyone can learn to be a medium? Yeah. Uh, okay, so this is a good question. And I freaking hate it when people are like, of course you can dance. You can dance. Anyone can dance. I hate it when people are like, <laughs> of course you can paint. You just need to grab a paintbrush. Not everyone can do things well, okay? And not everybody, like, so theoretically, I would say that absolutely. Psychic, medium, it's just part of being a human. And I don't think I have extra senses. I just think I happen to be wired in such a way where I use this part of my brain organically. As a person who's a natural medium, aka I just happen to not be able to help being psychic and talking to dead people, I don't want to say that somebody who's not a natural medium could easily do it or do it at all. I do think it is part of the human condition. But I mean, ask me to run a marathon and I'll ask you to please stop talking to me. You know what I mean? Like, I know theoretically I can do it, but the amount of effort and energy it would take would be a lot for me. The other part of it is I don't recommend it. It's hard. It's hard on your physiological body. It's hard on your psyche. Um, and when you open up to energies that we're talking about, you know, it'd be cute if you could just like open up to like nice dead people, uh, healthy dead people. Uh, who only want the very best for you. But that's not how it works. You open the door to your house, and it's not just the people you invite in that can walk in, unless you're standing at the door and you're paying close attention all the damn time. And that's just not realistic because we're not talking about physical presences walking in. We're talking about energies you can't see. So um, I, it's not only that I'm not certain that everyone can do it, although I do think everyone can do it. Um, I don't recommend that everyone does it. I, I, I wouldn't want to create an idealistic version of this. You know, it, it comes at a cost at, and it costs like a bunch of different things at a, in a bunch of different ways. 
We'll hear more from Jessica in just a minute. But first, some thoughts from me. I've always thought that death was not the end. I've had some profound dreams in my life where departed loved ones have spoken to me, sometimes in a way that seems to foreshadow events in my waking life. Plus, I'm from an ethnic family and we place a lot of emphasis on the dead and their wishes. I miss the dead people in my life greatly. So it was around this point in the conversation that I suppressed the urge to ask Jessica if she could pick up on any of the messages for me. And that thought was confronting, both because my friend is not a human sideshow I can expect to perform on cue, so rude, and because I got a sense of the desperation and the sadness that so many of us feel when people we love leave us. It's the most human feeling in the world. Up next, Jessica's going to share her thoughts on celebrity mediums, the most common messages she gets from the dead, and what it's actually like to communicate with those who've passed on. But first, a word from our sponsors. So a lot of us are spending more time than we ever have at home right now. And that means cooking and staying healthy are a real challenge. Enter Sakara. I'm sure you've heard of them. They're a nutrition company that delivers fresh, ready-to-eat meals straight to your door. Plus, everything they make is 100% plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free, and non-GMO. And in addition to their delicious meals, Sakara also offers daily essentials like supplements and herbal teas to complete your wellness routine and support your overall health and vitality. To boost immunity, try their best-selling daily probiotic blend or detox water drops with pure chlorophyll. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash beyondbelief or enter code beyondbelief at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash beyondbelief to get 20% off your order. Sakara.com slash beyondbelief. Okay, so could you describe the experience of speaking to dead people, I guess? Like, how does it work for you personally? Like, what does it feel like, look like? Is it, you know, audible? Is it more feeling-based? Mm-hmm. My experience is not everybody's experience, right? It's my experience. And because I didn't, like, take classes or learn under anyone, I don't know what other people experience. So for me, it happens in a lot of different ways. At the beginning years, maybe the first decade of me doing this work, I would get freezing cold, just freezing cold, and I would start yawning. And that became kind of my tell. Sometimes my guidance will, like, pinch my thumb really hard. Um, But I didn't like the cold, and I don't like the pinching, although sometimes it still happens. So I usually yawn. So as soon as I start yawning... I know, oh, okay, there's probably a dead person in the room if I've drank enough, if I've had enough coffee that day. <laughs> I know I'm probably dealing with a dead person. And, you know, I think that part of why the yawning, there's like a lot of reasons why yawning happens with energy work. But I think one thing with dead people is if a dead person enters my body or my energy sphere, they're literally dead. So it's literally exhausting. It is exhausting physically. Like I'm hungry after I do medium work. It's intense. So the way it works is honestly quite different with different people. I um, have worked hard in the last two years 
of not letting them in my body because letting dead people in my body is the quickest and easiest way to get the most amount of data. It's like really well-rounded. I get how they feel. I get how they talk. Um, I get how they died, um, all that kind of stuff. But it's really physically trying. So I'm trying to organize a way to get the data like in front of me or near me and communicate it to me, which I'm still working towards. But um, some people are really wanting to collaborate with me and some people want to overtake me. Um, and it's not like people who want to overtake me are bad necessarily. Could just be that they, it's the only way they know how. They're enthusiastic. They're scared. Like there's a million reasons. The way I experience it, you know, it's just so normal to me that it's just me getting data. And I work incredibly hard all the time to not get data unless I'm with a client. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm with a client, I will generally ask questions. I not long ago was speaking with somebody who I was just like, oh, do you have somebody passed away? And she was like, yes, my my parent has passed. And it was a father. And I was like, just flooded with heat, just overwhelmed, like hot, hot, hot. And I was just, it just assumed it was chemotherapy, you know, assumed it was cancer. But no, he died in a fire. So like the way they, that he entered was by showing me how he died, which is not uncommon. But unfortunately, that was by showing me what it felt like to burn. Not super chill. I've had my mouth flooded with blood and my throat flooded with blood. I've had like gunshot stuff. Like, it's just like, it can be very unpleasant. And what it requires, like on a human experience level, is being able to differentiate between these are my feelings this is how I think. This is how I feel things. And I'm feeling this and this is not mine. And I have to be able to investigate it without attachment in order to get the data accurately. And that investigation without attachment is required for successful psychic work, decoding empathy and intuition in general, as well as the mediumship. If Whenever I try to direct the message or edit the message, I've lost my way is how I feel. You know, it's, I let the dead do that. And sometimes the dead are dicks. And so sometimes I'll present something to the living of being like, I don't agree with this advice. Or they're not coming from a psychic place, just why? You know, like if you're, I, I, I know this is so, so silly and stereotypical, but how many dead dads have I talked to that are like, can I talk about your car? Like so many, so <laughs> many. And it's just like a silly mundane thing and it's not psychic, but it's like, it's not like, they are predicting the future. It's just that's what they cared about and they still happen to care about it. So, okay, when you talk about sorting out like your own stuff from the data, mm -hmm. how did that look in the early years in terms of, you know, doubt? Because doubt and mediumship, I mean, they're just so like intertwined and people listening to this are going to think, well, how do you know it's not in your imagination? So like how did you yeah. navigate those questions that you might have had? So I was in a unique position. I've been a practicing astrologer since 95, right? And so I was working with clients as an astrologer and eventually a tarot reader for years. And people would come to me and be like, uh, will you talk to my dead loved one? Or can you do the psychic thing? And I'd be like, I really didn't believe in psychic at all. And so I would say no. And then they would insist. And I had poor boundaries. And so I'd say, well, it's your dime, but I want you to know that I can't do this. And I think it's a waste of your money. And I recommend we don't. But if you want me to, I will. Um, and I would get things right. Mm. And I would just hear voices and I would get things right. And I just was like, well, eh, they wanted it to be right. Or it's a fluke. And that would happen for years. And so I had all of this evidence, all of this evidence. 
And I mean, I would be lying if I said I had no self-doubt ever to this day. Of course I do. I'm a person. But when I started to more consciously do the mediumship work, it was because it was coming at me hard. I had ghosts in my house all the time. It was awful. I hated it. They were disruptive. My cats hated it. I couldn't sleep. I had like dead guys watching me sleep. It was awful. And it kept on coming. And through the practice of this, I just, I guess it really was that I had evidence, evidence, evidence. And when I was wrong, I didn't make it be like a, like it didn't harm my self-esteem in this way, I guess is the best way to put it. It just was like, I guess this isn't resonating. So what is it that I'm supposed to be understanding here? Um, it took a lot of years and it didn't happen overnight. And it was practice and humility and effort and putting other things down in deference to this because it is not a small thing. Um, not just talking to dead people, but holding space and counseling people who are bereft, who are grieving. I mean, it's not a small thing. And it's not a thing that I think anyone should attempt um, unless they are on some meaningful level dedicating themselves to it because it is an honor and it is a responsibility and um, and it should cost you. What else did you have to go through or maybe just, you know, want to mention in terms of protecting yourself? Because we're talking about, you know, spirits that, like you say, if they were dicks in real life, they'll be dicks in the, the next world and uh, possibly even, you know, oppressive people, abusive people. How can you make sure that you are not putting yourself in danger? Yeah. Just like you can walk out on the street right now and you can't be sure you're not putting yourself in danger. You are. Right. Yeah. You're putting yourself in danger. So what's about you, you know, eyes open. I had to change the way I socialized. Uh, socializing was really, really hard for me. For a couple of years, I would be out. And I'm also an empath, um, which is not to say that I'm empathetic as a person. It's that I have the mixed blessing of being an empath and feeling other people's feelings. And the way I'm wired is I only feel people's pain. I don't feel their joy. It's mm -hmm. super fun. handy. Yeah, it's so <laughs> handy. So I'd be out for dinner with people and I'd be like, who has a fucking knee problem? Who's got a knee problem here? And somebody would be like, I have a knee problem. And I'd have to like, you know, like work really hard to let it go and give it back. Or somebody would be panicked because they got like a random text from someone they had a crush on and I would start to feel panicked. You know, mm. so it, it really messed up my life. Like it really, and I won't say it like newly messed up my life because I think I was psychic my whole life and I just was like unwell a lot. And and that was because I was feeling too much. Um, so I, I mean, I was never a drinker. I just don't resonate well with alcohol. So I didn't have to do anything with that, but I had to smoke, stop smoking weed. And I had to start paying better attention to what I was feeling so that when I started to feel somebody else's energies, whether they were dead or living, I could be like, oh, that's not mine and give it back to them or give it back to source or like there's like a million ways that I release it. It's exhausting. It is truly exhausting. And that said, I get energy work from somebody every single week. She mm -hmm. does energy clearing. I have many tools that I use to clear energy, um, release energy, strengthen myself, shield myself. So I did want to ask you, you know, when people think about mediumship, like, you know, they'll think about celebrity mediums and the kind of industry of all of that. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? Like, is that um, like something that is a sh it's a shame that it might turn a lot of people away? It's also kind of potentially, at least in some cases, exploitative for people that have genuine vulnerabilities and issues that they yeah. need help working out, but perhaps they've gone to the wrong people or... Yeah. 
Yeah. It's really, it's tricky. I don't know what I think of celebrity mediums because, and you mean mediums who are celebrities and have had TV shows, right? You don't mean like mediums that talk to celebrities. Yeah. Like more like the the TV shows, the books, the tours, all of it. All that stuff. I mean, I have seen two mediums live. And I really loved one of them, the other one a little bit less so. And I watched, as another medium, uh, at the one that was a little bit less so, he started to get a message, and he wasn't connecting it to a person. And so he said, oh, it's for you, to this person in the audience, and it wasn't. It absolutely wasn't. And then he read that person's dead person. Um, he like connected with that person's lost loved one, but it wasn't the person he was referring to at first. He was like talking to one dead person, then I saw him switch, talk to another dead person. And I was just like, oh, I don't know if that's bad or good or complicated or if it's just effective, if it's just like being fluid and flexible. Like, I I don't know. Mm. I don't know what I think of any of it, but I will say this. When an individual chooses to do mediumship, what you're doing as a practitioner is you're opening yourself up. And if you're standing in a studio or you're standing on a stage or you're standing in an arena, there's different kinds of energy to have to worry about, right? And um, when we're dealing with mediumship and media, we're all very savvy. We're all very skeptical. And unless it's an experience you are having having with yourself, with your lost loved one, you can't really know if it's like really an experience. And even if you are having an experience, you might be like, I don't know. And so I don't have a fixed opinion about it one way or another. All to say, I don't know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> we love that answer. Okay, good. That's a I don't know answer. is our favorite. Okay. Um, going back to the, the kind of the messages you get and, and what the point of it is, why people are coming back to communicate, what do you feel like they want or maybe like another way of putting that would be like what do you want people to know about Mm -hmm. people who are no longer with us so so the first thing i'll say is a little like correction is they don't come back because there's no there there right and it's very hard for every human to hold on to that um so there's not like a there's no no location there's no separation uh and it varies i've literally had long conversations with dead people about haircuts about cars, about like I, in the early years of my work, I had this woman come in and she was like, I'm sure my dead grandmother's in my house. Me and my mother are sure of it. And uh, sure enough, her dead grandmother was in the house and she had one solid message. And the message was, hide your husband's money. Hide your husband's money because you never know when you're going to need it. Because her husband, so my client's grandfather, had like siphoned money and then lost all the money. And then the grandmother was destitute at the end of her life when she had been very like comfortable through her life. So that was her shit. The answer is as varied as you can imagine. You know, it's really common for me to hear I love you and it's really common for me to hear I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And a beautiful thing that occurs when we leave the body and we no longer in a state of separation is we can see what we've done. We can see how we failed others. We can see... You know, that parent that you're just like, this person drives me crazy. She's always criticizing me. When you're dead, you can see your parent and see what's actually happening. You're like, oh, she's not criticizing. She's scared of everything. I get it now. Now I'm not hurt by it. Now I can see. And, you know, that can be really healing. It can be really transformative for a soul. Yeah, I mean, really, I've had very deep, very petty and everything in between conversations. So, yeah. (laughs) 
It's like a beautiful rainbow of all of human experiences. Yes, yes. Also an ugly rainbow. It's all of it. Mm. It's beautiful. Yes. It's ugly. It's benign. It's like all, the, it's all the things. And a lot of times our dead will stick around with us to help us work things out for better or worse. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a wide and varied rainbow of many ugly and beautiful colors, some of which blend together, some of which do not. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating. Yeah. Thank you, Jessica. Oh my God, thank you. I'm so glad you asked me these questions because usually I'm like actually like communicating to a dead person. I often get asked questions to talk about mediumship itself. So this has been fun mm. for me. I love that. Yeah, me yeah. too. So there you have it, speaking to dead people from the perspective of someone who actually does it all the time. Jessica's take was so completely DIY and non-dogmatic, and that's what was really interesting about it for me. What struck me in her description of speaking to the dead is how emotional it is as a cosmology and as a practice, which of course, right? But the emotional and the really existential side is so often left out when mediumship is represented in pop culture right now. What sells is catchy, easy to understand concepts like crossing over or scenes in which a person knows somebody's name. But that's far from the most interesting thing about the idea of dialoguing with the dead. And whether you believe in life after death or not, it's far from the most interesting conversation we could be having about it. Don't we deserve a nuanced public exchange about life and death? And maybe dead people wouldn't be quite a scary and even fascinating subject if we had a healthy discourse around death to begin with. When everything around us is so sanitized and even the idea of decay provokes, you know, such a strong reaction in us that we stow away our old people in sterile homes and hospitals, can you blame people for seeking intimate contact with their most beloved lost souls by any means necessary? Because again, death's going to happen to all of us. The cool thing is, maybe anything could happen. There is no death. It is only a transition to a different sphere of consciousness. If you loved this episode of Beyond Belief, you can rate it, leave a review and or subscribe to the feed so you never miss an episode. I would love that for you. And if you have any thoughts on this topic, please send them in. You can DM me on Instagram at jericho.mandyburr. Tune in next week where we'll explore the highly stigmatized, racialized and reclaimed representation of the conjure woman. Beyond Belief is a Wonder Media Network production recorded on Tongva land and produced and edited by Liz Smith with support from Edie Allard. Wonder Media Network is a women-led podcasting company dedicated to uplifting underrepresented voices based in New York City. Women of colour are often forgotten about in most media coverage. 
From Wonder Media Network, The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics is all about amplifying the voices of women of colour. It's the one-stop shop for women of colour who want to hear and talk about the world of politics. Host Ashanti Gola speaks with influential activists, politicians, journalists and more who are playing a transformative role in the 2020 elections and beyond. From Stacey Abrams to Joy Ann Reid, these women are changing the face of politics. Listen and subscribe to The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics wherever you get your podcasts.